Hello again ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 20 of Hunter Hunted Hybrid Wars, my third instalment of the Clan Mason series. Always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, and leave feedback at sites like fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All of your thoughts and feelings are always appreciated, and I always love reading what you guys have thought, and what you're thinking, and the directions you want me to go in. And if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, why don't you check out Stormrider while you're there? My original story told on that one site and that one site only. And you know, if big girly dragon-esque girls, orcs, elves, magical realms, multiple worlds and undead are your thing, check it out, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. And also while you're there, why don't you check out the ghostly link section. Pick yourself up a copy of Mortis from either Smashwords or from Amazon. Help support me and keep me doing what I love bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it, this is all fan fiction. I'm just here to keep the Huntresses happy. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 20 Better Living Underground Vippy and her group steered the smoke through the seemingly endless warren-like tunnels that without his little reptilian guides he wouldn't have snow had a snowball's chance in a Yejuta's house of navigating on his own. Though what shocked him was they didn't appear to be using any kind of navigation system. He seemed to be navigating the place sheerly by memory alone. They still had both of hold of both of his hands, which kinda made Smoke feel kind of odd. He was beginning to feel a bit like a small child being led around by an overprotective parent. Plus the others hadn't shifted from their close protection positions around him. It appeared that Raptorians weren't exactly big on personal space, as he had barely enough space to take a step, and he was really having to watch where he was placing his feet so that he didn't step on one. He'd already found out exactly how hard these girls hit, and he didn't exactly go fancy going around another round with one despite having access to his armour this time. Eventually, they shepherded him through into a large room, through a covert door that appeared to be camouflaged with a metal cover, which seemed to be coated with the same volcanic glass which coated the entire corridor, which Smoke thought was rather smart. He didn't even see the biometric scanner that was embedded in the wall that scanned Vippy's handprint. Beyond it was what appeared to be a conference room of some kind, where the command group from earlier were now gathered. It was surprisingly well decorated and lit. All the walls seemed to have been decorated with jungle wood panels that seemed to have various screens embedded into them and he noticed each of them seemed to be displaying images that appeared next to them, like the medical scans and x-ray photos, as well as actual photos for him and his injury. As soon as they saw him, the black-scale commander made a beeline for him, parting a circle of his little bodyguards like Moses with the Red Sea. She grabbed both of his hands and pulled him from the circle, much to the obvious annoyance of Vippy and her pride by the ruffling head feathers from all of them. Ah, there you are. I'm glad you could join us, but firstly I'd like to wholeheartedly apologise to you for the way you've been treated by both our soldiers and even by my own pride mate. I feel so very deeply ashamed for very nearly striking you. I, I just never imagined in a million years we'd end up plucking a male of all things off a battlefield. I thought you were trying to trick us and confuse us, so please forgive me and us for all your poor treatment she said while stroking his gloved hands with both of his. 
Um, sure, I can understand your confusion, I guess. I mean, you weren't exactly expecting to find an ally out there. So I understand your caution, and I don't hold it against you. I'm sure we ourselves would do the very same if we didn't have one of our seekers of truth on hand to be able to get the truth out of a captive. So please don't worry. Thanks to the superb medical staff, there's no lasting harm done. In fact, I'm sure our battle angels and Queen Zara would love the, to get a look at those nanite things of yours. They do a really wonderful job, Smoke said, trying to use his best diplomatic voice. Thank you. I was so feeling so bad and guilty about what we did. I'm so glad you can forgive us. And did you say queen? Does that mean you have a monarchy? Does that mean you're a prince? She asked, looking him in the eyes, and her eyes turning wide now, which seemed to match that of the entire pride still surrounding him. I hit a prince? You heard Vippy whisper under her breath, barely audible, but thanks to his suit, he still caught it. And he chuckled softly to himself and shook his head. No, I'm not a prince. But now that I think of it, I'm sure our Xeno-loving girls out there will love that little iota of information. He said, clocking the looks of confusion being passed around. So he decided to capitalise on it before they got said anything else or got any other ideas. Okay, how about this? Let me properly introduce myself, and I'll tell you both about myself and my society as well as my organisation and what we're actually doing here on your soil. Would that be acceptable to you? He asked, looking around at them and the black-scale commander. She looked around at her fellow commanders and there were nods all around him. She gestured for him to take a seat at the centre of the large oval-shaped polished jungle wood conference table that took up the centre of the room. As he was about to take his appointed seat, the commander actually pulled out the seat for him, which, while a little small, as it was made for Raptorians, not larger humans, so it didn't end up with his knees around his ears. Kind of felt like he was sitting on one of those chairs they had at a preschool. But once the, he was on his seat, the commander actually proceeded to push it forward, so he was now tucked up against the table. Uh, thank you, he said a little awkwardly. She smiled brightly and warmly before taking the seat on his left, while Vippy sn quickly snatched the seat on directly on his right before anyone else stole it from her and ran for the jungle with it, or at least that he was imagined what would happen by the vigour at which he rushed for it and grabbed it. Okay, please proceed, sweet scale, the black-scaled commander said, using what he guessed was their version of sweetheart. It actually made him feel a little huffy, because while he, he was sure she didn't mean to be condescending, but he just kind of came across that way. But he did choose to ignore it in the in the uh, process of diplomacy. Okay, my real name is Peter Samson, but everyone just kind of calls me Smoke. It's kind of a code name or nickname, if you will. So feel free to call it call me it too. I'm a fully blooded hunter of Clan Mason. More specifically, I'm an electronic and counter electronic warfare specialist. Basically, a very specialized version of a field sigint. My job is to do things like break jamming, communication frequencies, hack into enemy signal networks, and generally just cause all sorts of merry hell with their electronics, like targeting systems, for things like SeaWiz systems. Smoke said proudly, and rightfully so, his job was incredibly to do under the most normal of circumstances, like in an office or something. But he went out into the field and did it under fire. So yeah, he was proud of what he did, and what he'd earned. They all looked at one another with a very obvious surprise of, air of surprise around them, but gestured for him to continue all the same. 
We of Clan Mason got a message referred to us from our new ally, the Serpentinus, that their allies were under attack by the Scalifor under Connus. Now, we had just assisted them from repelling an assassination attempt on their royal pack by Scalithorian commandos and nightmare assassins, who tried to capture or kill their ghost slitherer community and their royal pack. Our Grand Patriarch took them to safety, back to our own homeworld to be trained in our Seeker Temple, which specialises in the training of dream warriors like them. Our Grand Patriarch is a dream warrior himself, probably, if not most definitely, the most powerful dream warrior in existence, in the known universe at least. And he is the chosen one of Our Lady of the Hunt Pyre, her left hand. But I digress. So, we received the message of the attack on your homeworld by the Scalfo and Deconis, and Clan Mason will always defend our allies and innocents, whoever and wherever they may be. So our Grand Patriarch and Matriarch put out the call to arms and assembled the clan. We brought what we could of our fleet here, some of it still defending the Serpentinus homeworld currently. Now that we discover, now we discovered that they have over 20 cruisers and frigate-class ships in orbit. So while our Grand Matriarch stays in orbit with our fleet to take care of their support ships, our Grand Patriarch led an assault force made up of Seekers, Hunters and Battle Angels to the surface to see what assistance we can render to the Raptorian people. Smoke said, taking a deep breath after such a long-winded explanation, but he wanted to make sure he got all of the basics of what was going on out there. Your Grand Matriarch sent her mail down here to brave the dangers of our jungle while she stayed in safety of orbit? What kind of monstrous female would send her mail to fight while she stays in safety? One of the commanders exclaimed, and this sent a shot of white-hot anger through smoke. There were many things he could and would forgive, but insulting Grand Matriarch Tickelf Mason directly in front of him was not one of them, and the usually soft-spoken man exploded. Hey! Don't you dare insult our Grand Matriarch in front of me, he snarled loudly and slowly, making them all jump, not only at the volume but at the pure anger in his voice directed at the commander who had spoken. I I'm sorry, but no female should ever place her male at risk like that. It's monstrous, the commander exclaimed, looking around at the others, all nodding in agreement. Maybe that's how you do things here? But that is not how we do things in our society. Nobody has a greater value to the clan than anybody else. Not even our dream warriors, as rare as they are, are above anybody else. The only thing that gives one superiority is rank and rank alone. Nothing more. Certainly not gender. Look, I don't pretend to know how your society works, and I'm certainly not judging you or your kind as one of the things that the clan prides itself on is its unity and our acceptance of everybody, no matter who or what they are. One of our missions here is to learn about your people and your ways and customs. But, in exchange, I ask you to be respectful of ours as well, Smoke said, trying to stop his voice shaking. He wasn't exactly comfortable with public speaking, as he was, he was doing his very best to not to deploy his cloak and flee into the tunnels in embarrassment at his outburst. The room was actually stunned into silence, and he could see them all glancing at one another. Then a few nods back and forth as they looked to the black-scale commander sat next to him, and even though no conversation was occurring, somehow they seemed to be communicating their thoughts. She began to speak. We are sorry if our lack of understanding of your ways has offended you, Hunter Smoke, 
But please understand to us that your ways seem monstrous. To us to put your males on the front lines anywhere near the surface, let alone a war zone, is truly and utterly unthinkable. But if our lack of understanding has caused offence, then we apologise. She said and Smoke nodded. Thank you. And I apologise in turn for my aggressive outburst. But please try to understand that to us, our Grand Matriarch is a true hero of Clan Mason. A legend, if you will. She's an idol of strength, courage and true power of the unchained heart. To insult her is to insult every one of us that wears this golden uniform with pride. The hunters are the personal unit of the Grand Matriarch, Tickalth Mason, and she leads it from the front. And there is not a single thing this woman would not do for any single member of the clan. She has, and will, spill her blood willingly for any member of the clan, as would any one of us who follow in her giant footsteps and wear her colours with pride would do so as well. Believe me when I say, there is nothing that angers her more than not being able to fight at the sight of her beloved life mate. But she is an incredible tactician, and she knows exactly where she is needed the most within the clan, and she does her duty with pride, he said. And they nodded seemingly placidate to find out that Tick Elf Mason was a great warrior, and this seemed to fall more in line with their way of thinking. Now, first I should probably give you a little understanding of the, our society and its species. First, human, Yuta and xenomorph are the three species that currently make up Clan Mason. The males of each race are neither smaller nor weaker than their female counterparts, with the exception of the case of the Yuta, as the female tend to stand between eight and nine feet tall, to the males who stand about seven to seven and a half feet tall. But with humans, it's pretty much the opposite, with the males being bigger and physically stronger than the females. With the Xenos, there's pretty much no difference, other than the Hive Queens are absolutely huge, but all of which have human kings, and you do not ever want to mess with a queen's king. We have a saying on our world, hurt a king, answer to his queen, Smoke said proudly in the high-speed chittering that ensued, broke his translator again. But finally they turned back to him, and the black-scaled commander spoke again. So you were a human, correct? She asked and Smoke nodded. Yes. We were warm-blooded mammalian species, evolved from primates, hence our light covering of fur and opposable thumbs, he said. How many females are in your pride? One of the other commanders asked in an interested voice. My pride? Smoke asked before remembering what the doctor had told him about raptorian prides. Yes, your pride, your, raptor, your fami family unit. The raptorian prides are usually six to eight females, and if they're lucky, a single male commander who had white scales that looked like snow, said happily. Smoke nodded in understanding now. Our family groups are not like yours, or those of the Serpentinus. I'm going to assume your birth rates are different to ours, like the Serpentinus are. Males and females are born at the same rate for us, one male to one female, and we're solitary creatures. We remain with our birth parents from birth to the age of 18. Once we hit that age, we're considered a legal adult by the clan. From that point, we were able to move on on our own. We move out, make our own choices, and though unless we have a romantic partner of any species, we tend to live alone in housing built and provided for us by the clan. I did not wish to be mate-hunted as I wasn't ready, so I signed a non-consent form when I turned 18. Then I joined the hunters, 
because I wished to give back to the clan which had given me life. So I joined the hunters and passed out as a full-blooded hunter. There was no prouder moment in my life than I stood the moment I stood before the Grand Matriarch and received the man, mark of the hunter, Smoke said, lifting his hair to show the scars of the Yuta language which marked him as a full-blooded hunter. There was even more chittering among them, and they looked at him again. Males are solitary on your world? The white-scale commander asked, and he nodded. As are females. We don't live in large family groups like yourselves, or the Serpentinas. We're pair bonders, one male and one female. Well, those are mated from a species from our world anyway. Seeker Diamond Scale is mated to a pack of Serpentinas. But other than that, it's pretty much one male to one female. Or if you're homosexual, one male to one male or one female to one female. Smokes explained. And this set them off into an even bigger chittering storm that made his translator have a full-blown full meltdown. It's probably one step away from ejecting itself from his armour and going on strike. Imagine. One male each. How deliciously deviant that sounds. One of the commanders said. And there were a few knowing chuckles from the others. Okay. So your turn now. Please explain to me how your society works. Smoke said, gesturing to them. Well, as you pointed out, our birth rates are greatly different to your own. Only about one male is born to roughly every eight females. It's said to be our punishment from the great tree for, um, <clears throat> past indiscretions. But our males are smaller, weaker and far more emotional than our females. And each and every male life is supremely precious to us. They are protected at all costs. Just a single lost male life can be disastrous for our population because his life could cost a possible eight more from the pride that he is lost to. Like the females in that pride may now not be ever be impregnated. And while that might not sound like a lot to you, now do the maths of two males, now three. You see? So to us, every single male born is a cause for celebration, and he will be protected from the moment he exits his lucky mother's womb and opens his beautiful eyes to his new world, to the very moment he lays down his head for the final time upon his deathbed. His pride and all others will guard him and be around him, the black-scaled commander said proudly. So, do males work in your society? I mean, you're a translator group who are male, but I haven't seen enough of your, your kind to immediately notice the difference to me, Smoke said, and the entire group nodded. Males are generally homemakers. They take care of the children of their pride and keep the prides home. But a much more modern trend is for males who haven't gotten a pride of their own yet to work. And many of them keep their jobs afterwards until they're ready to raise a family. Our males are very skilled in things like languages, arts, programming, things and such stuff like that. Much more caring and mental work than physical. As I've said, they're smaller and physically weaker than us. So they'd never be up to the physical requirements of the military. And there's no way in a million rotations we'd ever let a male go near the fucking surface. Only very specialised elite military units we call surface stalkers like Vippy's Pride here go anywhere near that. And it takes years to become one of their number. And only very, very few ever make the cut that's required, the black-scaled commander explained proudly. A pride that was echoed by Vippy and her pride if their body language was anything to go by. Smoke nodded. 
Having seen the place, I can tell why. Goddess, I've got no doubt that if our people's Clayton Alliance, your surface is going to be truly crawling with Yuzuta girls and boys, trying their hardest to get a pro trophy to impress their peers. Or indeed, humans trying to get a trophy to impress the Yuzuta girl of their dreams. Smoke said, which rather confused the Raptorians. Alright then, buckle up. I'll try and make this as swift as possible and then we can get on to more important topics like the war going on up there. Smoke said, and he began to launch into an explanation and description of the species of Clan Mason. So not only would they be recognisable, but they would be a lot better understood. Smoke spent the next hour explaining the basics of Clan Mason and their principles, and how the clan operated and what they stood for. The Raptorians were curious about absolutely everything and truly barraged him with questions about its species, about the other species about how the clan operated, how it was built, its hierarchy, everything. In fact, he spent one hour, another hour telling them of the clan and the next four bet answering the barrage of questions. During his time, he noticed that the Raptorians really had a really curious habit. When they had first spoken to him, they had done so one at a time, like they were controlling themselves somehow. But the more used to him they got, it seemed that they too let their guard slip and their true selves began to shine somewhat. And they started with them beginning to finish and each other's sentences. But then it gradually became much more than that. It was like they were so in tune with the act of speaking with one another and it was reserved for communicating with others, not members of one's own pride. It was like every little twitch of the tail or feather had some hidden meaning that he just wasn't privy to. And soon all six members were not only involved in ending each other's sentences, but the whole sentence was being carried by each member of the pride. Like each one of them would choose a word to say and the whole thing formed a sentence. It was like having a conversation with eight people, with all of them speaking at once. And yet he was not only able to understand it, but it just flowed so perfectly and smoothly that it was truly incredible. Suddenly all the high-speed chittering made sense. They weren't truly speaking to one another, but all saying the same thing one time, just saying one part each. So, you're like special forces then. The hunters, seekers and battle angels of Clan Mason are kind of like its special forces. Much like our surface stalkers, the command pride asked, with each member chirping one of the words at him to form the sentence. The whole group was like one entity. And Smoke really had to get into the habit of not trying to follow the words around the pride but instead of focusing on them as a whole. Otherwise he was going to get a real crick in his neck. Yes, each group specialises in a different form of combat. Our Seekers, as I've said, are Dream Warriors. Each of them focused on one of the Dream Warrior specialist disciplines. There are Soul Knights, Tamers and the Seekers of Balance. Each one of them is basically a one-person army. You have to witness a Seeker in combat to truly believe what they're capable of. The things I've seen them do beg a belief. But they're also known as the goddesses' chosen souls, touched by and chosen by the divine ones, before they're even born to carry incredible gifts. But there is a flip side to that, Smoke said. A flip side? Vippy's pride asked and Smoke nodded. If they're not found very early on, dream warriors almost never know what they are or why they are, or what they can, why they can do what they can do. They can scare their birth species into exiling them or hunting them to either harness their incredible destructive power or to cast them out, leaving them alone and scared. This is when they quite often wind up being lured by the darkness, 
seduced thing by things like this dark seed, whatever the fuck it is. Hell, I'm no expert on that sort of stuff. I just do computers. Things that go beep, whir, and click are my poison. You'd have to speak to one of our seekers, or better, Jack Mason, our grand patriarch himself. All I know is if they get touched by the darkness, dream warriors can go bad. Real fucking bad. They become things our seekers call nightmare assassins. Whereas our seekers embrace life, joy and beauty. The light, shall we say. They embrace darkness, pain and death. They're violent evil beyond compare. Four of them nearly killed the Serpentina's royal pack and the entire Glossom Slytherin community. If our seekers hadn't been there to intervene, they would have most likely succeeded on that, Smoke said. There were shared glances between the two packs. Their scales were rippling colours and their feathers were bristling. He couldn't tell if it was communication or just anger. And what of the others, like your hunters or your battle angels then? The command, command pride asked. Hunters are predators, hence our name. Our job is to hunt down the clan's enemies and destroy them. And it's more than that. We hunt down evil and those that would carry it out. Those who would harm the innocent. Fear the guardian cause hunters. Because if you become our prey, there is no way that we will not find you. We hunt our enemies to the ends of the universe if need be. But that hunters has its factions too. Different groups that specialise in different areas of combat. For example, the Pathfinders are our scouting specialists. Berserkers, like our Grand Matriarch herself, can whip themselves into a righteous frenzy that makes them near unstoppable on the battlefield, like living, breathing tanks. And then there are the Guards, who no matter what, hold our lines together like a living, breathing bulwark against the forces of evil. There are even the Templars, who are like modern-day knights. Next up, you have our Battle Angels. They're warrior doctors and medics. Their creed means they do no harm to the innocent life and will fight to save it and heal it no matter what the odds. Finally, these guys aren't on the ground currently at the moment. Well, other than the odd member who's kind of somewhere in between. And those are the saviours. They're the broadest members of the clan, doing everything from combat engineers to snipers, even down to police, Smoke said. This seemed to interest them so greatly. So which are you, then? Kamayan Pride asked. Well, I'm kind of one of the weird in-betweeners. I'm a full-blooded hunter, yes, but because of my skill set with computers and electronics, our Grand Matriarch sent us, me to train with the Saviors, so that I could be trained with electronic warfare and counter-warfare, as well as signals. Once I was trained and was complete, I was also badged a full Saviour and hunter. That's why I have three badges on my chest, not two, Smoke said proudly. Badges? Vippy Pride asked curiously, and he pointed to his chest plate, where three ornate badges were mounted to his armour. The Sword of the Hunters, the Shield of the Saviours, and the Tree of the Pathfinders. Most of the Guardian Corps only ever get to wear two of these at most. These symbols of honour, and it is both my honour and my pride to wear the three of them, and to serve my people however they need me to. Smoke said with a voice dripping with pride for his place of birth and growing in its strength. They all seemed to be very interested in the little tree on his chest, and both prides jumped up from their chairs and crowded around to look at the little tree, that if you looked real close had a little person sit, sat in it watching, finding the way for those following to take. It was the symbol of the Pathfinders, which was the unit that pretty much all the saviour trained guardians that had returned to the hunters 
and didn't remain with the saviours themselves, were entered into. It looks like a little great tree, the peace pride said, and the command pride nodded in agreement. Do you think it's truly a sign from her? The peace pride asked, looking at the command pride questioningly. Could be. It's hell of a coincidence, if not. If what he says is true, then this symbol's only given to their pathfinders, and he's one of the rare ones to wear three upon his chest. What are the chances is that we plucked him from our jungle? The Command Pride said. Vippy's Pride all nodded in unison. It has to be. It has to be some kind of sign that was meant for us to find. In all the time that I've ever been surface stalkers, no other sentient race has ever found one of our number, not once until now. And he found us and hunted us through the jungle, avoided all the dangers of the jungle itself, and found us. And we captured him and brought him here. A male of all things, from another world, another race. In our jungle, hunting us, with a little great tree upon his chest. The alien prince who fell from the sky. Vippy's pride said, all of them looking at him very intently. Especially Vippy himself, whose eyes seemed to be truly glowing as she scrutinised him. Uh, still not a prince, guys, he muttered softly, feeling very embarrassed and rather self-conscious under the intensity of their gaze. Well, we believe you are, Vippy said with a smile that was one part predatory and one part happy. Kind of made him a little uncomfortable. And he looked away, and then looked back again. And when he glanced back, he saw the edges of her scaly lips turning into what seemed to be some sort of odd smile that reminded him of a Zeno for some reason. We should take him to see to the pride of the high priestesses, the command pride said, and there were nods all round. What's that, exactly? Smoke asked curiously, glancing between the members of the various two packs. They interpret the will of the Great Tree. They dedicate their entire lives to listening to the Great Tree and looking for signs and messages. If anyone will know if your arrival is a sign of her will, they will, Vippy's pride said. Very well. After discussing what Hunter Smoke can tell us about what he saw on the surface, along with a detailed description of his people present so that our surface stalker teams can locate them, then maybe we can begin to work together on solving the problems and drive these tail holes from our beloved world and home. Command side said, and Smoke nodded eagerly. That's more like it. Okay then, let's get down to it. Do you guys have surface scanners still operational, or mapping of some kind? He said, and the command pride opened up a comms line that was internal and hardwired into the wall. Kind of like an old school phone, as the Grand Patriarch called them. They were in every branch of the military, Clan Mason, just in case of jamming. King Yoshi had installed them himself with the help of his army of children. A few of the screens now displayed images of him, and in his injuries now slowly changed to satellite images of the surface. They were obviously not in real time as they were currently being jammed, or were really currently flaky debris raining down on the planet which would have hindered them. Smoke jumped to his feet and moved over, examining the photographs and scans closely. Ah, okay. This is where I believe I came down. This was our flight path right here. My team would have dropped in somewhere around here. And this is where I spotted the FOB. And this is where it was located. Smoke said, circling his fingers around the lake area where the rivers met. Now, from what I saw, they have a whole armoured division right here. Plus what I believe are Scalathor commando units. Saw one of them stalking through the jungle and the tree... Though the trees probably ate them, knowing what you guys got up there. 
but also sort of the Cornish aerial scout units about. The FOB is armed with multiple garden turrets and a series of guard towers at each corner, plus some artillery and seawiss at the centre of it. But the biggest prize of all there is the jammer unit, which is dead centre. Now, to my eyes, it's big and powerful, yes, but it's not big enough or powerful enough to blanket the entire planet and the surrounding space. So that means there's most likely a network of them, as well as possibly a few in space as well. But our Grand Matriarch should be able to take care of those ones, Smoke said. Do we need to take down all of these towers? The Command Pride asked and Smoke scratched his chin. I've only done a preliminary analysis on the frequencies being used, but I don't believe so. Think of it like dropping stones in a pond in different places. If done right, the ripples become waves and create a form of perpetual wave interference. But if you can interpret the pattern, you can create gaps and holes, which will allow us to get certain types of transmissions through. But if you take down enough of them, then the holes get bigger, and that will allow us to stabilise some forms of communication. And that is all we really need to do to begin coordinating both Clan Mason and the Raptorian military together. It would mean that we can all communicate and sync up our attacks, and intel teams on the ground can share what they find with your surface stalker units, and tell them where to assault, and vice versa, Smoke said confidently. Now it sounds like we're getting somewhere. Good, we can work with this. But in the meantime, you've had quite a day, and I imagine you require rest and recovery. Plus, we need to take you to the High Priestess Pride, so surface stalker Vippy's Pride here will take it take you to our city and we will care for you. They will put you up for the time being at their home as part of their order of protection, the command pride said and Smoke felt himself flinch. Oh that's quite alright, I wouldn't want to impose. I'm a man of simple needs and tastes really. I just need a bunk to crash in for the time being and something to eat and I'm good, he said with a dismissive wave of his hand. But as he turned around he found Vippy's pride all standing all around him and in a circle all looking at him very intently, making him jump in surprise, as he'd never actually heard them move at all. Suddenly the stalker part of the surface stalker made a lot more sense. They moved like ghosts. Nonsense. You are not only our guest here, you are male, which might not mean very much where you are from, but here it means a great deal. You will be protected, and you will be cared for. I assume that your people have respect the laws and rules of other species that you encounter, correct? Command Pride said, and that kind of caught Smoke a little off guard. Well, er, uh, yes, of course we do. We never deliberately breach the laws of a sovereign species. That's not how Clan Mason works at all. We're here to protect and aid, not take over or invade. Smoke said a little indignantly, before he realised he'd not only just put his foot into a trap, he'd full-on stamped on the trigger before smacking it with his ball sack to boot. Good to know. That's what we'd hoped you'd say. So it's settled. In keeping with our laws and customs, Vippy's pride would take care of you, guard you, and be fully responsible for your upkeep. You are male, and that means a great deal here. So you are protected, and you are safe here. End of discussion, the command pride said, and Smoke opened his mouth to argue. But Vippy gripped his left hand, and the, another of her pride grabbed his right, and he was instantly surrounded on all sides. We will guard him with our very lives. No harm will befall him while we are on our watch, we swear, Vippy's pride said in truly perfect unison, each of them saying every one of the words this time, and the calm man pride nodded in acknowledgement. Good. Bring him back here tomorrow. 
when he's had a chance to rest and recover and we will discuss what's to happen next. The command pride said before Vippy's pride saluted and steered the resigned and somewhat defeated smoke out of the room. The tunnels they passed through seemed endless and smoke was getting a very lo- getting a lot of very curious glances as he was led up past pride after pride of little raptorians going about their duties. Eventually, they led him to appear to be what seemed to be a very well-hidden set of elevators. In fact, he didn't even know they were elevators until both Vippy and one of the others holding his hands placed one of their hands onto the set of hidden scanners, which led the wall right in front of him to open into a large, smooth cylindrical tube. The cab they stepped into was a little low in the height department, and smoke at the stoop as they led him inside. But he couldn't help but smile and chuckle to himself as he thought of a Yejuta girl crammed into one of these things. It'd be like Yejuta in a can. Vippy seemed to notice a curious look. A security measure takes a minimum of two Raptorians on the same pride to open. That way so no one can make it down into the city without the aid of a pride. Plus it measures pulse and heart rate, pheromones and a few other things. Detects any form of duress or stress and it won't open if it does. If the hand is not alive, it will not open either. Only those that are worthy to enter our cities ever reach them, Vippy's pride said proudly. You guys take your security very seriously, Smoke said, and the whole pride looked very happy with that, and there were nods all round. It comes naturally to us. Our entire society is built around the principle of defence. When you're one of the smallest creatures on the planet, you not only have to learn to defend yourselves, but also what's yours. And when our society was nearly destroyed a couple of thousand years ago, we were forced to abandon the surface in order to rebuild. Our ancestors then swore that nothing and no one would ever take away what was ours ever again, the peace pride said, and the smoke cocked his head curiously. What happened? he asked, and the pride all looked at one another. We can do better than tell you. We can show you. We'll take you to see the memorial, they said, smiling. They slightly crammed elevator slow before coming to rest with a soft ping noise before the doors opened with a whoosh and that presented itself to smoke made his mouth fall open. They were inside a truly huge cavern but that wasn't even the really impressive part. As his eyes roamed the ceiling it glittered in a million different shades and hues of what seemed to be a light ripple over it but it seemed to pass over it as he moved his head. Greens and yellows and reds, blues and pinks all blending together like a moving rainbow. Hell, it was like actually being inside a living rainbow. It took Smoke a minute to realise that he was what he was looking at. It was a geode. The entire place was a giant geode. It's beautiful, Smoke exclaimed, looking up. Vippy's pride smiled proudly at him. It allows us to make the most of the natural light down here. The natural elements in these crystals reflect perfectly onto the city, Vippy's pride said while Vippy gestured to the ceiling to show the angle of the crystals, perfectly aligned to reflect the light back onto the city. And from what he he could see, they appeared to have been carved. That's incredible, Smoke said. And when his eyes lowered, he got a first glimpse of the city below them, and what he saw truly made his mouth drop open again. It reminded him of a giant medieval castle, carved right out of the volcanic glass itself. A huge outer wall carved right the way around of the incredibly thick volcanic glass with circular turret-like tower structures rising up beyond it in places. The whole thing was surrounded what 
with what appeared to be a moat of molten lava. The whole city runs on geothermal energy, powers everything from our industry to our homes. Free energy forever, Pride said proudly. What about air? How do you guys breathe down here? And water? Smoke asked. All the water comes from underground rivers that were converted into a reservoir, and the waste can be converted into steam to run the geothermal power stations, which cleans and recycles it for other uses, the Pride said as they began to walk along. What looked like a giant metal drawbridge over the moat of white-hot molten magma. But somehow the heat was bearable. Hell, the metal wasn't even warm to the touch. Must have some kind of special coating which reflected it. He instantly knew that if Citrus's hive ever got down here, they'd be crawling over every fucking thing. The air comes through a series of vents, and is continually renewed by a series of natural convection. But just in case of emergency, there are a series of pumps that can draw air down from the surface. They said when they reached a large set of metal gates, there appeared to be four prides of guards on duty, all dressed in black military-style jumpsuits. As the pride approached, the guards all snapped to attention and saluted them. Despite all of them wearing helmets that hid their faces, Smoke could tell that they were all looking at him now. Welcome back, honoured surface stalkers. Um, who's this? One of the prides asked, looking up at Smoke and looking him up and down. This is Hunter Smoke. He is under the protection of our pride, Vippy's pride replied. And again, despite the helmet, Smoke could literally feel the eyes of amazement on him. Um, forgive me, Circus Stalker, Surface Stalker Zima. Did you say he? One of the Pribes asked, and Smoke looked over the Pride, trying to guess which one of them was called Zima. Yes, I did, the Raptorian with white and blue scales, who was still holding his right hand, said on her own. A, a male? On the surface? You found a male on the surface? All of the Guard Prides exclaimed in perfect unison that made them sound a bit like a choir. Vippy's pride nodded, and while the guard prides were stood in true shock silence, Vippy's pride led them through the small gate that stood at the corner of the much larger gate, and it was small enough that Smoke had to duck his head to pass through it. Suddenly, now Smoke was getting a new appreciation for how Yujuta girls felt. The city was truly incredible. Circular turret-like towers had been carved from the volcanic glass, as was everything else that he could see. The whole city seemed to have been carved from one giant piece of rock, and within the centre of it, a giant geode. The streets had been carved and the rock had been rough to make it non-slip. It reminded him a bit of cobbles in the way that it had been shaped. It was lined with large circular lamps that looked like large glowing blue orbs, but as soon as he got closer he realised that they were actually ant farms. Holy shit, your street lamps are actually glowing ant nests? Smoke explained, looking closely at one of them as the little workers all went about their business. The ants were about the size of his little finger, and their abdomens glowed like those of fireflies, casting a form of blue light, which had a collective effect and cast a soft blue right around the surrounding area. The great tree provides the tools, and we make use of them. The ants get a stable and safe colony that is protected and fed by us, and we in return get light. It's a win-win. Nature must always be preserved. It is the greatest gift that the great tree provides to all, after all, Vippy's pride said as they guided him down a street. As they walked, the pride seemed to close rank into a much tighter protective circle now. 
Um, you guys don't need to worry about me so much. I am a full blunted hunter. Quite capable of protecting myself, you know. He said no sooner, he said. He felt both Vippy and Seema both squeeze his hands in perfect sync. Nonsense. While you were here, you were under our protection. And we take our responsibilities for that very seriously. Especially where males are concerned. Vippy said, which made smoke groan with frustration. He kind of felt like he wasn't being taken seriously at all. His pride was taking a serious knock with all the hand-holding and leading him around like a child. He understood that their culture was very different from his and while he was here he had to act as both a warrior and a diplomat and the diplomatic part meant obeying their laws. And he sighed heavily. But there had to be some way of proving to them that he didn't fully need their protection. But how? Suddenly, out of nowhere, an alarm began to blare, sounding almost like an air raid siren. Attention, all citizens. There has been a report of a mimic in the vicinity of the recreation zone. All civilian prides report to the nearest shelter at once. All guard prides, please converge on the recreation zone. A series of voices came through speakers that Smoke couldn't see, as they were surrounded him like they were all around him. A mimic. It must have gotten in through the air pipes again. We must protect Smoke, quick, get him to the shelter, Vippy exclaimed. But Smoke had other ideas. This was his chance. It was like Pyre herself had sent, heard his prayer and sent him this chance, and he was not going to miss it. The goddess of the eternal hunt was giving him a chance to prove himself, so he would hunt this mimic, and he would kill it for the pride of Clan Mason. With one quick movement, Smoke was able to use the pride's distraction to pull both of his hands free and engage his helmet again. Smoke, no! It's too dangerous! You don't know what you're up against! Vippy yelled in panic. Before she could even finish her sentence, Smoke's cloaking system engaged and he simply vanished from sight. The running prides of civilians heading for the towers made it easy for him to slip away from Vippy's pride unnoticed. And honestly, he did feel kind of bad for ditching them. But he had to do this. He had to show them and everyone else what he could really do. That's when he noticed the guard prides, all seemingly running in one direction, so quick as a flash he fell in behind them, using the shadows to move without being revealed, as his cloak shimmered somewhat as he ran. The guards led him to, to what appeared to be a cross between a park and a miniature jungle. There were trees and all kinds of amazing plants and large flat areas of grass that looked to smoke to have been set up as some kind of picnic area. There was even a park of some kind with all kinds of entertainment for their children, like climbing frames and swings, etc. He got close enough to listen to what the guard prides were saying. I want tight groups, people. You've all fought these things before, eyes open. You know they can look like anything. So if anything out of place or catches your eye, call it out. Nothing is stupid. I do not want to have to write killed by a fucking park bench on anyone's burial urn today. So eyes fucking up. We're on the watch for civilians also. We have an unsubstantiated report that there might be still a group of males with children in here somewhere. But the ch shelter reports are not coming in yet, so eyes up. One of the command guard prides was saying to the others. Smoke silently slipped past the guard prides and into the trees. He had absolutely no idea how they grew trees underground, but here they were. He was sat on the end of a branch when he saw Vippy's pride appear at the entrance to the area. And by all the arm waving at some of the guards, he got the feeling that it were telling them there was an alien male in the area as well. But suddenly everyone went into overdrive. 
Smoke flicked his vision into thermal mode now and he began sweeping the surprisingly large area using the trees to move silently as he did. The place was truly incredible. I mean, what looked like a pond. It was filled with some kind of aquatic avian species as well. And even a form of warm-blooded fish that attracted his attention. And that's when he saw a large heat source coming from what appeared to be a public toilet on the far side of the pond area. Smoke moved slowly and silently towards it, noticing what appeared to be a high-up window well outside of climbing range for the average Raptorian, but not for a human equipped with specialist hunting gear, made for climbing. So as quickly as he could without compromising his cloak, Smoke made his way over to it and jumping up he gripped the ledge and looked in through the window. What he saw instantly set his heart on edge and he flipped the normal vision to confirm it. Inside the toilet block were a small group of four Raptorian adults and they appeared to be clustered into them into a corner and behind them what appeared to be six small children. Smoke dropped down and swiftly moved around to the front door and entered the block. The Raptorians immediately cried out an alarm upon seeing a gold-suited creature bursting into the door and immediately attempted to shield the small children further. It's okay, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm here to help. My name is Smoke. I'm a human. I'm a member of Guardian Corps of Clan Mason. I'm a human, Smoke said rapidly, in what he hoped was good enough Raptorian for them to understand. The closest Raptorian to him lifted their head and Smoke realised that it looked remarkably like the translator. Their little heads had various forms of jewellery sat all over them and what appeared to be makeup on their faces. The one closest to him had fire-red scales, and the makeup was in greens and blues, and it really stood out. They were dressed in brightly coloured, flowery open-style shirts that showed off their necklines, along with pants that reminded Smoke of somewhat of the yoga pants that had become very popular among the Yujuta girls, though they really clung to their legs and really showed off the shape of them. These must have been the lost males that he'd overheard the guards mention. You're here to help us? The closest one chirped softly, looking up at him with incredibly bright purple eyes. Yes, my name is Smoke. Is anyone hurt? He asked, and the Raptorians shook their heads. Suddenly the little ones began popping their heads up from around the group like baby birds in a nest. They all looked up at the large, golden, strange-looking alien creature before them. We were trying to make it to the recreation area shelter, but the Mimic trapped us in here. It's outside somewhere and we can't risk going out there. We can't let it get the children. Please, Miss Smoke, you have to help us. The closest Raptorian said and Smoke nodded. Don't you worry, I'm going to protect you and the little ones. Where did you see the mimic and what can you tell me about it? He said. It was near the pond. It was pretending to be a bin and it changed as we got near so we ran in here to hide. It's still out there somewhere. We've heard it. One of the little ones chirped, their voices sounding scared. Don't you worry, little one. I'm going to get this thing. You and your daddy will be just fine, I promise, Smoke said before turning and getting ready to leave. When he said over his shoulder, Lock the door behind me and don't open it until either the guards call for you or I do. Okay, he said and the males all nodded. Smoke recloaked and he leapt up onto the roof of the toilet using the power-assisted movement of his suit. He heard the door locking being engaged below him, and he began scanning the area with his thermal vision. But honestly, he didn't even know if this thing he was hunting was hot-blooded, or would show up under thermal. So he decided to try something else. 
And lo and behold, it actually worked. Another couple of the Masks Vision settings had originally been designed to set up v Zeno to pick up Xenos back in the day, when the Ejute had still hunted them. One of them picked up pheromonal pockets, and the other picked up bioelectricity, specifically those charges generated by muscles and organs in work. As soon as he activated this one, which kind of made everything appear a bit of a gold colour, a bench right near to the corner of the pond lit up bright white on a gold background. Gotcha, fucker! Smoke hissed as he watched one of the water avians jump out of the water next to the full bench and begin to waddle along the water's edge, pecking at the ground with its odd semicircular-shaped bill as it looked for food. As it got close to the bench, the mimic struck like a cobra. A spike of flesh shot out from it and speared the bird before it knew what hit it. Suddenly it was pulled struggling and squawking into itself. It literally absorbed into what appeared to be a mass of putty. The bench rippled and undulated before becoming solid again. Holy shit, no wonder he's scared of these fucking things. Fucking glad I didn't fancy a sit down, Smoke breathed to himself. Reaching behind himself, he gripped his combi stick and with a flick of his wrist extended it. Immediately as he lifted it into the throwing position, an aiming reticle popped up in Smoke's vision. With a roar of effort, he threw the combi stick like a huge spear right at the fucking bench pretender. The huge staff flew through the air and only became visible as it struck the creature dead centre and pinned it to the ground with a solid and wet-sounding thud noise. The stick buried its bladed end into the soil behind the fake bench. Then, to his utter surprise, the mimic bellowed in pain sounding like an angry tiger as it began to thrash around the combi stick. It actually split itself in half, in half and began to pull away from it. Ah, oh, no, you fucking don't, Smoke yelled, bringing his rifle up from his back. The barrel extended into his firing position as it was raised. The coils along the barrel sides crackled with electrical energy as Smoke fired up the rifle in railgun mode. A sharp and loud crack issued as it fired, leaving a blue energised smoke trail from the tip of his barrel to the huge smoking hole that the tungsten slug, about the size of Smoke's thumb, punched right into the creature's scent mass. It blew a hole about the size of a basketball right through it and kicked up a crater of soil that it hit immediately behind it. And almost immediately, the hole began to seal itself up. Fuck! Smoke realised realizing that regular trip projectiles were not going to do much good against a putty mass-like creature. So he quickly flipped the switch on the side of the weapon, while the creature tried to reform itself in order to escape him. The weapon immediately reconfigured with a series of clicks and low-energised thrumming noises. Once lit, a light lit up in his HUD to tell him that it was ready to go again, and raised it, taking aim centre mass once again. He decided this time he was going to up the ante on this shape-changing fucker, so he also activated the targeting system on his mask, which caused his plasma casters to pop up and the tri-laser aiming modules kicked in. Triangular targeting reticles lit up in his HUD. Eat plasma, you child-killing motherfucker! Smoke roared and fired all three weapons at once, creating a hellstorm of glowing blue plasma shot that lit up the entire area in a bright blue blow as it flew towards the creature. Three orbs of superheated plasma glass struck it all at the same time. And this worked beautifully, as the superheated plasma not only blew fist-sized holes in it, but had the 
additional result of setting it on fire, causing it to thrash around in agony, rapidly shifting between a multitude of shapes, like the pain of plasma fire coating it was causing in whatever intelligence this creature had to short circuit. It let out a final blood-curling roar before falling flat into the ground and actually melting into what looked like a burning puddle of oil. After checking that the creature was truly dead, which thanks to his electrovision was rather easy as the electrical charge dissipated into the ground around it, which eventually left it as dark as the ground upon which it lay. Smoke then retrieved the combi stick from the ground with a hard yank, shaking the soil from it as he did. He replaced his now powered down rifle on his back, but kept his stick out with his casters powered up, just in case. They hummed softly next to his head as their magnetic core spun, keeping the charged plasma held in suspension tight within their breeches, ready to fire. Turning and heading back to the door, he banged on it with his fist. It's hunter smoke, it's safe to come out now, the mimic is dead, he called. The door creaked open and a little head poked out and looked around. It, it's really dead? the little raptorian asked, and Smoke nodded, pointing to the smoking but still burning body of the mimic nearby. With that, the little male raptorian opened the door and they all came out looking at him in absolute amazement. You killed it? All on your own? But where's your pride, miss? The male with purple eyes asked. Not a miss. I'm as male as you are, and I don't have one in answer to that question. I'm a human, and we do things a little differently to you guys. Smoke said, smiling under his mask. You're a male? One of the kids exclaimed, looking at him in absolute shock and awe. Instantly, Smoke found himself surrounded by the males and the kids, all looking up at him in awe. Just then, the sound of running feet filled the air. He turned just in time to see a literal army of guard prides arriving, having all been drowned to the sound of gunfire and combat. They all stopped dead and all looked in at the shock at the still-burning mimic corpse. Suddenly, out of the centre of the guard group, a familiar group burst out like a bunch of little scaly missiles, all heading right for him. They ran low to the ground, leaning forward and extending their tails to act like rudders. It made them incredibly quick on their feet, plus it allowed them to change direction incredibly quickly. Smoke, you're okay. Oh, thank the great tree, Whippy yelled, her voice a mixture of anger and sheer relief as they surrounded him again though this time not grabbing his hands, as they noticed the weapon still be to be powered up, and he was holding a rather sharp-bladed staff. Though, you could see through in her eyes that she was internally debating whether hugging him or slapping him was the right call. Smoke calmly retracted his combi stick. With a very practised movement, he spun it in his hands before replacing it in the mount above his hips. Now he finally powered down his casters, which were currently tracking the movements of his head and the laser targeting systems that they were emitting. The pair of them powered down with a high-pitched whine, before finally lowering down into their gimbal mounts and locking back into place on his pauldrons, before finally retracting his mask to reveal some his smiling face. Sorry about that, guys. Didn't mean to worry you. But I did tell you. I'm a hunter. When I heard there were people in danger... I couldn't hold back and do nothing, especially when I heard there were children involved. Protecting innocent people is what hunters do. It's our most absolute creed. Hunt down all those that would spill innocent blood. It is the oath all hunters swear before the clan empire. And nothing and no one will ever make me break it. Smoke said softly and a bit apologetically, 
but still also proudly too. Mr. Smoke saved us from the mimic, one of the children chirped happily, and soon all the others were joining in. And that's when Vippy's Prime seemed to actually notice them. Males? There really were males. Male children in danger, Seema startled. And though suddenly all of them joined in, instantly the pride split up and surrounded the entire group defensively. Vippy spun towards the guard prides. Males! We have males over here! She yelled at the top of her lungs and every single guard head popped up, snapped towards them before they absolutely charged towards them. The entire group was suddenly surrounded in layer upon layer of circles of guard prides forming up. Instantly, the males were plucked from the group and rushed away, buried protectively inside a pride of females, all while being wrapped in blankets that were suddenly appearing from somewhere. But not before they all managed to finally give Smoke a wave of thanks, which he happily returned. Okay, let's go. I could really use something to eat now that I've worked up an appetite, Smoke said, gesturing with his hand and giving Vippy a bit of a smug smile. He got the feeling he'd gotten his point over as he could actually see the guards and hear the guards chittering and he could hear the words male and killed a mimic on his own being thrown around quite a lot. She nodded and without saying a word she grabbed his hand while Seema grabbed the other one and once again Smoke found himself in the middle of the group being led away towards the towers. As he went he could literally see every single guard gawking at him in shock. He sighed heavily again, but as they passed him by he couldn't help but smile to himself. At least he proved his point, even if he probably was in for a bollocking of some kind for it, by the very conflicted look on Vippy's face, surprisingly pretty face. It was probably coming very soon too. So that was chapter 20 ladies and gentlemen, but what level of bollocking is uh, poor Smoke in for? And will he survive it? Gonna be the only one way to answer those questions and so many more. You'll have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you all next time.